Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What's that sound? That's the sound of downy unstoppable scent beads going into your washing machine and giving your clothes freshness that lasts all day long. There it is again. It's like music to your ears or more like music to your nose. That freshness is irresistible. Let's get a Downy Unstoppable bottle shake. And now a sniff solo. Nice. Get six times longer lasting freshness plus odor protection with Downy Unstoppable's in-wash scent beads. Hello, friends. Today, we are talking about love scams. The way that modern love scams go is that you meet someone on the internet and you never really meet in real life but you form some sort of romantic attachment and after that, every time you try to meet them, something comes up and they need money from you and they always need more money from you. So that's the classic love scam. And then there is a more modern Gen Z young person kind of love scam which is you meet someone on the internet and you're a little bit horny and you agree to do some internet sex and then afterwards they take a video and blackmail you with that now today we are talking about a different kind of love scam one where you're promised that they'll marry you then they have sex with you and then they kill you Hi, I'm Teddy and welcome to A Briefcase. Today, we are covering the case of Cyanide Mohan. Mohan Kumar was born in 1963. His birth name was Bhaskara and he was a Dalit. So I googled it and in the caste system, the Dalits were previously known as the untouchables, but basically the lowest caste. He had a brother and a sister and he was a resident of Kayana in Bantwal Taluk. So he lost his dad when he was young, but he was very close and loving towards his mom. Now, as he grew up, his family became no longer close because his brother had a love marriage rather than an arranged marriage. We also take a look at his personal life and we know that he married for the first time in 1987 but ended up divorcing his first wife. We don't know if there was any overlap between his first and second wife but he married his second wife and they had two sons who, when the case happened, were in classes 7 and 3rd. I'm not too sure about the Indian school system, but if you have any context, please comment below. Now, according to his second wife, he was a simple man and he worried about expenses and he also kept close track of his money, so he was frugal and careful. Later on, he got married to his third wife while still being married to his second wife. So his third wife lived in a different area and she lived in an area called Dira Laket. 
and he apparently met her while she was working in an office. They became friends and later got into a relationship. And she apparently was from a respectable family, and her grandfather was the Patel of the village, which I think is kind of like a village elder kind of role. He also had two children with her, which at the time of this case would have been a three-year-old daughter, his only daughter, and a 10-month-old son. Now, here are some other things that we know about Mohan Kumar. He never really smoked or drank any alcohol, and he had health issues which were reported to be tuberculosis and acidity, which I'm not too sure what is acidity. Um, and even though he had these health issues, he still worked in a paddy field and an acre nut plantation when he was at his third wife's house. So he would split his time between his second wife and his third wife's house. He would spend two days at his second wife's house and then the rest of the time at his third wife's house, which I think is a little bit of favoritism. Now, professionally, he went to school up to pre-university, which I guess would be either the equivalent of high school or junior college or maybe even like polytechnic in Singapore. And then after that, he worked as a temporary teacher in the primary school. He also moved between schools and a number of times over 23 years. And some sources, including Wikipedia, said that he worked as a physical education teacher, so like a PE teacher. Now, he started this job around the 1980s and continued working as a teacher until 2003. So we don't know what he worked as after that, but he must have worked somewhere given that he had like two households to maintain. And he was a busy man because between his second and third wife, he was also busy propositioning and proposing to women. And from what I could find, these were all poorer women from 20s to their 30s. So let me provide some context here. Now, officially, dowries have been made legal in India since 1961. And honestly, dowries or bright prices in most parts of the world, at this point, I think it's a little bit more of a formality and it's more like a cute little ceremonial thing, you know, like the Kotali. Now, I don't think that most people actually expect any real money from a dowry, okay? It's just like a cute little gift of goodwill. But in certain parts of the world, not just India, it's still taken very seriously. And you can actually get rejected just because you don't have a dowry or your family cannot afford a dowry, which feels a little bit gross because it's almost like, are you marrying me for me or for my dowry? So now what we can take from this is that in India, and usually in the more rural parts of India, you can still get rejected or men looking to marry will still demand a dowry and refuse to marry you if you don't have a dowry. Which to that, I guess, with a lot of privilege, I can say is just, I guess, trash taking itself out. But I think with the kind of societal pressures and the prejudice that exists in those places, it's much harder to just say, like, fuck you to somebody who won't marry you just because of a dowry. Now, I guess when we look at this closer, the same kind of place that would cultivate men who refuse to marry their female partners on the basis of a dowry, I guess would be the same kind of culture that pressures women into getting married and shames them for not being married. So anyway, what Mohan would do is that he would approach these women who didn't have dowries and then he would cultivate a relationship with them over a couple of months. 
and usually these women's families didn't know anything and I think maybe they wanted to wait until it was a formal proposal or until they were properly married rather than to tell their family they got rejected again you know and after that he would get this woman to come to him to his village and typically he would have his way with them he would have sex with them and it's very manipulative because he would promise to marry this woman when he obviously had no intention and also by the way I did a quick check and sex under the false promise of marriage is considered rape by certain courts in India. So this guy was technically also a rapist. And after that, he would give them a pill. After having sex with them, he would give them a pill and he would be like, okay, babe, this pill is a contraceptive pill. So I'm guessing he tried to tell these women that the pill was like plan B, but instead the pill was cyanide. And so he would poison and kill these women. And after that, he would steal their money and their jewelry. One of these women was actually called Pushpa and she worked for a women's hostel as a cook. And he actually visited her home three times and promised to marry her. So on 8th of July 2009, so just about a decade ago or so, she tells her family that she's going to the temple, but instead she goes to visit Mohan. And when the family actually call, because it's 2009 and everyone has phones, he tells them that she was with him in a hotel and so they were together from the 8th of July to 15th of July so almost a week and on the last day he brings her to the majestic bus station and gives her a quote-unquote contraceptive pill. Pushpa was found dead in the bus station toilet. So these were all girls from poor families And because the girls were from poor families, when they went missing, the families didn't have the resources to go looking for them or the power or influence to push the police to keep looking for them. And in most cases, it seems that people thought that the girls had committed suicide. And in one of the cases, the death was recorded as an epileptic seizure. Researching into this case, I believe his youngest victim was 22 years old. And the police were investigating this particular case. Her name was Anita Barimaru and she went missing on June 17th. Her family was concerned so they called the police who tracked a phone. And when the police tracked her phone, they found that there were calls made to her by another missing girl. So they tracked the phone of this other missing girl and this led them straight to Mohan Kumar. Now, at this point of time, he was in his mid-40s. He didn't have a stable job, and looking at his photos, honestly, he wasn't particularly good-looking. Now, we know that this man was a master manipulator. The police arrest him on the 20th of October, which was a Tuesday, at around 3.30am in the morning. They tell his family that Mohan had killed several girls, and it's alleged that he killed a total of about 18 girls. But according to the newspaper, the Hindu, he was charged for the murder of 20 girls in total. And the thing is that during this time, he kept such a low profile. He kept such a quote-unquote respectable profile. And there are articles that said that his family, his neighbours, had difficulty believing that it was actually him. Though it's also said that at some point of time, he was also involved in a bank loan fraud and forgery. But in the end, he was sentenced to life imprisonment for four cases 
and the death penalty for three cases. He did file an appeal and this was reduced to life imprisonment, so I'm guessing he won't be facing the death penalty. Now, one interesting thing I noticed while researching into this case and a lot of other Indian cases is that a lot of their cases get adapted into either TV shows or films. And this particular case, if you're interested, was adapted into a TV show that's available on Amazon Prime and it was just released this year. And not to say that other countries or cultures don't usually make crime shows, but usually if you look at like Western cases, it's made into documentaries, but in particular for Indian cases, they do get made into like a dramatized movie or TV series. Not not saying that it's a good or bad thing, it's just something that I've noticed over the past couple of years we've been doing this podcast. I hope everyone had a great national day. Last week, we had a special national day episode, which I always think should be called Singapore Day. But as always, you can find us online at abriefcasepodcast.com or on Instagram at abriefcasepodcast. And do join us next week for another briefcase.